Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Living Wisely. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Several years ago, pastor, author, and radio teacher Chuck Swindoll told a story about going uh, to the doctor's office for an examination. After the nurse placed him in a patient room, he couldn't help but overhear a conversation taking place next door. You know how it is, those thin walls at the doctor's office. There was a, a mother talking to a doctor next door about her child. Uh, Swindoll writes, she was saying, you've got to do something about this boy of mine. To which the doctor responded, ma'am, I, what do you want me to do? You're the mother. Uh, if you don't keep him out of the swimming pool, he will have recurring ear infections. To which she said to the doctor, he's too big for me to handle. I can't keep him out of the swimming pool. You have to help me with some kind of medicine or something or, or, uh, that will take away the problem and the infection. And so as Swindoll overheard the interaction next door, he uh, thought to himself in his mind as he's waiting uh, for the doctor to come over to his room, wow, you know, who is in charge of that home? And, and he formed a mental picture in his mind of, of, of an adolescent that was maybe six foot two, 17 years old, and about 200 pounds. But then much to his surprise, when he heard the mother and child walk out of the room next door and saw them go down the hall towards the receptionist to check out, he saw that the child was a boy about five years old. Perhaps this is why Edward, the Duke of Windsor, once famously said during his visit to the United States in the mid-20th century, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. We're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs uh, called Living Wisely. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Proverbs chapter 3. And if you uh, forgot your Bible today, that's okay. We've got plenty we can loan you. Just raise your hands and one of our ushers can loan one to you. Uh, and as you're turning there, uh, let me just refresh your memory on our memory verse, the key verse for this series. It's Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. You see it there on your sermon note handout. This is where Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We've been learning in this series that wisdom is the skillful application of God's Word to every area of life for His glory and our good. In one area that we all need God's wisdom is in the area of parenting. And so thus, our big idea for today, the sermon in a sentence, is this. The mandate of Christian parenting is to mold your child's heart to be like Christ. The mandate of Christian parenting is to mold your child's heart to be like Christ. Now, regardless of your season of life, you will be affected by, touched by, and have to talk about parenting. Uh, this is why I shared last week that every Christ follower in any season of life needs to know what God's Word has to say about this subject. Uh, because if you're a child, 
you're being affected by parenting and need to think biblically about how you're being parented. If you used to be a child, you need to be able to look back on your childhood and how you were raised uh, as a parent, excuse me, how you were raised by your parents. And if you have children, you certainly need God's word to help with this. And if you used to have children, you need to know what maybe you should have done so you can apologize to your kids. And if you have grandchildren or hope to have children someday, you need to know what the Lord has to say about this. Now, something else I shared last week is what I call the pie chart of responsibility. It's that little peace-like looking symbol on your um, sermon note handout. It's supposed to be a pie chart broken into thirds. The pie chart breaks down the child development responsibility into thirds. The first is parental influence. The second third is God's sovereign will. And then the third section or piece of the pie is the child's free will. So how should we interpret this pie chart? And again, I'm just reviewing briefly, quickly, what I talked about last week. And if you missed last week's message, I'd encourage you to check it out online or on our podcast. But I think the pie chart, one way we can look at it is there is a lot you can do as a parent to influence your children to walk with the Lord. Parents have a vote in what happens over one-third of their children's lives, and you have a voice to go to the Lord in prayer who influences through his sovereign will on the second third. Now, on the other hand, the pie chart is a reminder that there is only so much you can do to influence your children to walk with the Lord. And so a few implications that I shared last week, uh, given this uh, tension we have to maintain, there's a lot you can do, but only so much you can do, is, is, first of all, if a child rejects the Christian faith and ends up not walking with the Lord as an adult, parents need to avoid pridefully uh, shifting the blame to others for their own mistakes in parenting. And also, parents need to avoid taking on too much blame for things that they couldn't control. If a child accepts the Christian faith and grows up to walk with the Lord, well, then the parents need to humbly avoid taking too much credit. Uh, because I think we'll all be surprised in eternity how much the Lord actually helped us, parents, get our kids walking with the Lord. The book of Proverbs talks both about uh, parents who do a poor job training their children like, for example, uh, Proverbs 29.15. Um, it also talks about children who reject their parents' teaching. Proverbs 13.1 and Proverbs 17.21. Therefore, when things go well, the credit should be shared. And when things don't go well, the blame probably should be too. Having said that, let's look at chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Uh, Solomon writes... My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a child, excuse me, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Here's point number one on your outline, the first of two big truths about parenting and discipline in particular, is this, parents bless their children by lovingly disciplining them. Parents bless their children by lovingly disciplining them. 
You might remember me mentioning in uh, earlier messages in this series that in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon is mentoring his son. He touches on several topics in chapter 3, including faith, humility, tithing, and now the Lord's discipline, how the Lord shapes and works us in our, in, in our lives. These verses are expounded upon at greater length in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Uh, you can look that up later, but uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews describes how the Lord works in the life of the believer to make them holy and to make them more like Christ. So why is this important? Well, because Proverbs 3 and Hebrews 12 tell us the Heavenly Father lovingly uses correction and discomfort to mold His children to become like Christ. And in a similar way, Several other scripture passages teach that children, excuse me, uh, that Christian parents should lovingly use correction and discomfort to also mold their child to become like Christ. Interestingly, the concept of discipline in the scriptures uh, means much more than punishment for disobedience. It carries with it uh, a larger, more important goal of training. teaching, guiding. Uh, In the original language of the scriptures, the word discipline uh, uses imagery of an athlete in training. Uh, To discipline, in the original language, shares some commonalities with the term to disciple or to make disciples. So parents bless their children by lovingly disciplining them. Well, why do we need to discipline our children Uh, If you would turn with me to Proverbs 22 now, chapter 22, verse 15, and um, uh, Solomon answers that question for us. Proverbs 22, verse 15. He writes, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So so here's here's the first thing answer to the question, why do we need to discipline our children, or why did you need to be disciplined as a child? And that is, A, letter A, uh, children are born with an inherited sin nature. Children are born with an inherited sin nature. Uh, Point to the person that your children got their sin nature from, and don't point to your spouse, okay? I don't recommend that, because your spouse isn't the only one that passed it on, Okay? Uh, you did too. Uh, this this complimenting proverb here in chapter 22, verse 15, states a universal truth in the first half of the verse, and then Solomon states the application in the second half. So, so uh, in other words, it's uh, the sage is saying, because folly is bound up in the heart of a child, discipline is necessary. The influential 19th century British Theologian Charles Bridges, um, he wrote a famous commentary. It's, it's one of the most popular commentaries um, on Proverbs. And uh, Bridges writes this about chapter 22, verse 15. He says, A child is to be punished not for being a child, but for being a wicked child. Thus, biblical discipline requires parents to discern 
Is the child sinning or just acting like a child? The former requires discipline, but the latter does not. And I have to admit, I've, I've blown this, and I've had to ask for forgiveness from my kids because they were just acting like kids, and they weren't necessarily sinning. And maybe they were acting like kids, and I was just annoyed that they were acting like kids, or maybe it was just I was focused on doing something else or irritable that day. But it takes some discernment to figure out why are they doing what they're doing, and is it actually sin? Now, if you're needing proof that children are born with an inherited sin nature, uh, look no further than a toddler. Uh, toddlers uh, aren't born knowing how to share, are they? Uh, have you ever heard of the property laws of a toddler? Oh, this is good. You've got to hear this. There's ten property laws for a toddler. Here's number one. The, the first one is this. If I like it, it's mine. The second property law of a toddler is, is if it's in my hand... It's mine. Number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. <laughs> Number five, if it's mine, it must never, never appear to be yours in any way. Number six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces that could possibly use to build that structure are mine. The seventh law, property law of a toddler. If it looks just like mine, it's mine, right? Number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. And number nine, if you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And finally, the tenth property law of a toddler. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> so the mandate of Christian parenting is to mold the child's heart to become more like Christ. And they need discipline because they are born with an inherited sin nature. Next, if you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Parenting wisdom and Proverbs are sprinkled throughout the book. Uh, chapter 13, verse 24. Next, Solomon says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Here's letter B on your outline. The second reason children need discipline is that loving discipline proves parental love. It proves parental love. The world loves to sort of tell us or, or to, you know, has a definition of love that, well, if you loved me, you would give me what I want. Or if you loved me, you would, you would not hurt me. Or you would, you would just uh, give me and make me happy. But in this contrasting proverb, Solomon debunks the popular parenting myth that self-esteem in children is built by showering them with affection and permissiveness. He, uh, other parenting experts uh, errantly polarize love and discipline as being, uh, you, you can't do one and the other together, they're, they're opposites. But that's not true. They're actually complementary values in the scriptures. Uh, please consider this. For example, is God loving? Well, yes. 
In fact, in 1 John 4.16, John says God is love. And he says that because love is such a dominant characteristic in the Lord's character that, that if you were to look love up in the dictionary, there would be a picture of Jesus there. Yet, in Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12, which we looked at earlier, and then in Hebrews 12, 3 through 11, we're told that the Lord disciplines because he loves us. Several years ago, Dr. James Dobson from Folks in the Family publicized the results of a study that had been done comparing two groups of young men. The first group were considered a highest self-esteem group, and the other were a low self-esteem group. And so uh, uh, sociologists wanted to see what was different in their parenting and their upbringing that caused one group to come out with self, high self-esteem and the other to come out with low self-esteem. Well, here were three major patterns found in the homes of the high self-esteem group. Uh, first of all, the high self-esteem group of young men was clearly more loved and appreciated at home than the low self-esteem group. Uh, secondly, the high self-esteem group came from homes where parents had been significantly more strict in their approach to discipline. By contrast, the parents of low self-esteem, young men had created insecurity and dependence through their permissiveness. Their children were more likely to feel that the rules were not enforced because no one cared to get involved in their lives. And the third major pattern that was found in the study, the homes of high self-esteem uh, young men were characterized by open communication. Once the boundaries were established, there was freedom for individual personalities to grow and develop. Thus, the overall atmosphere was marked by unconditional acceptance and emotional safety. You see, you need to know that the world tells us it is unloving to discipline our children. But God's word says it is unloving not to. That's what this proverb is saying. So, loving discipline proves parental love. If you would now turn to chapter 29, verse 15, Proverbs 29, verse 15. Solomon drops another uh, wisdom nugget for us on this topic of discipline. Proverbs 29, verse 15, he says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Here's the third reason that children need discipline. Let her see, loving discipline imparts wisdom to the child. It imparts wisdom. Discipline, when paired with biblical instruction, teaches children to fear the Lord, to control their emotions, to respect authority, and how to apply God's word to their own lives. This is why Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.3 uh, to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Both were needed to go together. If only one is done out of the two, serious neglect takes place. So loving discipline imparts wisdom to the child. 
So how do we, what do we do? How do we apply this? If, if discipline is good, if discipline expresses love, if it's how parents should love their children, what do we do with this? Well, I think we can learn a lot about lovingly disciplining our children by looking at how the Lord actually does it with his children. And so uh, the application would be following the steps of biblical discipline. The biblical steps, excuse me, of parental discipline. Here's the first step. Establish clear expectations and consequences. The first step in biblical parental discipline is to establish clear expectations and consequences. We can learn a lot about how the Lord parents by looking at how he interacts with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy 28, we won't turn there for the sake of time, so I'll just paraphrase. In Deuteronomy 28, one thing that the Lord does is he, he says to the people of Israel, in essence, if you obey, I will bless you. And I'll bless you in these specific ways. But if you don't obey, I will curse you. You will get these consequences. These things will happen. So, so nobody in the people of Israel, when they chose to disobey, can go, Whoa, where's this coming from, Lord? Because he had told them what would happen if they did not obey him. A common mistake that I, I see parents make is not communicating what they expect their children to do. And then when their children doesn't do what the parent expected, but the child didn't know they were supposed to, the child gets a consequence and the child goes, I don't understand. You never told me I was supposed to do that. Instead, Maya and I have found that it helps to set expectations and sort of think ahead and anticipate things happening. So, for example, you could say to a child, as you're driving to Grandma and Grandpa's house, now when we get to Grandma and Grandpa's house, I want you to practice your dinner manners that we've been working on at home. If you act like a young lady or gentleman like we've been working on, you'll get to have dessert. And if you don't, no dessert. And then hopefully grandma and grandpa won't go, oh, they deserve it anyway, let them have it. But, but, uh, but, but the point being, there's a, there's a prerequisite to clarity, and that is directness. In order to be clear, you have to be direct. If you do this, this will happen. You'll get to have your privileges. If you don't do this, or you make this poor choice, you will lose privileges. For example, instead of saying, why don't you go pick up your room? Say, would you please go pick up your room? The former makes your request sound like a suggestion or an option, but the latter makes it sound more like a directive. In other words, the parent needs to decide whether they are giving the child a directive or just a suggestion. Because kids will look for any way to get out of. Well, you didn't say. You just said, do I feel like cleaning my room? I thought I could choose to be on my phone instead or to play video games. Next, step two, determine the appropriate response. Determine the appropriate response. If you perceive your child is not obeying, then discern with the Lord's help why your child's not obeying or grandchild. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says to admonish the idle because they are being rebellious. 
Encourage the faint-hearted because they are discouraged. And help the weak because they are either tired or, or don't understand how to obey and need to be taught. Uh, one time several years ago, I noticed one of my children throwing mulch at their siblings under our backyard playset. And I saw it as I was looking out the kitchen window in the backyard. And, and so uh, seeing with my parental supervision, um, x-ray vision, that this is going to end up being wood in the eye, emergency room visit, cha-ching, cha-ching, insurance deductible, all that. I started running out to the backyard to stop the child and admonish uh, my child. And as I was headed out there, the Lord reminded me of 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And I remembered that, you know, we've really not had much opportunity to talk about the dangers of throwing wood at somebody else. And I realized that the child's not, my child's not doing this to be rebellious or disobedient this particular child, who will rename anonymous, needs to just be taught. And so I had to explain, hey, don't, don't, don't do that. You can't do that because here's what will happen. So determine an appropriate response. Now, step three, the third step in biblical parental discipline is choose the appropriate method of discipline. Choose the appropriate method. If rebellion is the cause of disobedience, then... It must be met with consistent, considerate, and measured discipline. The following four R's I'm going to give you are common forms of discipline in our culture, but what many Christians don't know is that they're actually rooted in Scripture. And so here's letter A under step three is reproof. Reproof. We already saw in Proverbs 29, 15, Solomon mentioned reproof. Reproof is a strong word of warning or correction. Uh, it's used several times in the book of Proverbs as a tool for helping someone either avoid sin or stop sinning. Uh, reproof should be firm, clear, direct. Uh, have eye contact with the child. Now, reproof says, if you do that again, here's what your consequence will be. And then there must be follow through. Uh, an example might be saying to a teenager, that kind of language is not appropriate in this house. And if I hear you use that kind of language again, here's what's going to happen. You'll be grounded. We use reproof when a toddler is motating around the kitchen and the oven's running and it's hot and the toddler's about to touch the oven. And we go, no, no, to get their attention. That's reproof because we're warning the child to avoid harm. And reproof is an effective tool to use from ages 2 to 18. Next, uh, letter B is the rod. You see I've listed there several references in Proverbs where the rod is brought up. It's in Proverbs 10, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 24, Chapter 22, verse 15, chapter 23, 13 to 14, and then again, 29, verse 15. This is commonly called spanking in our country. Uh, although this uh, type of discipline uh, is sometimes abused, and when it's abused, it makes news headlines, and it causes people to get very upset, as they should. However, when it's done effectively and biblically, 
it is appropriate. It should be used between ages 2 and 5 as needed, and from ages 6 to 10 sparingly. It should be primarily used for what I call the three Ds, disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. Christian parenting experts recommend one to three quick swats just to put a little sting, a little discomfort, temporary, with something like a dowel rod or a a switch or a wooden spoon. Uh, You should never do it in anger. You should never use your hand. Never do it in public so you don't embarrass the child. Or do it for mistakes or accidents that they might make. The goal is to create momentary discomfort that will get the child's attention so they associate that discomfort with the behavior and decide it's not worth doing it. When a spanking is needed, you should get the child alone, explain why they're getting the consequence so they can connect the dots in their brain, give the consequence, make them ask for forgiveness because they sinned against you, and then forgive them and teach them how to pray to the Lord and ask him to forgive them. We did this for years with our kids uh, as they were growing up. We would uh, give them the spanking after explaining why they're getting it, We would teach them to say they're sorry, and then we would get on our knees with them by their bed and lead them in prayer. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, please forgive me, please forgive me for lying, for lying, in Jesus' name, or help me do better, and amen. We did that so many times, because they not only were sinning against the parent, us, but also they had sinned against the Lord. And we wanted to teach them they needed to do business horizontally and also vertically. In his book, Heaven Help the Home Today, Dr. Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary uh, quotes a summary of these proverbs on the rod. He, He says this, A loving parent inflicts temporary discomfort on his children by spanking with the rod to spare them the long range disaster of an undisciplined life. Occasionally, Maya and I have found it is wise to withhold discipline from our children in order to teach them about God's mercy. You've heard me say before that mercy is simply not getting what we do deserve. And so uh, sometimes we would withhold discipline and show them mercy. But the lesson doesn't work if you've not been consistent in following through beforehand. And so, if they know what normally happens when they disobey or they're dishonest or disrespectful, and then they receive mercy, they're very grateful for it. Next, uh, letter C, removal from social contact. In Numbers 12, Moses' sister Miriam was put outside the camp and isolated for seven days because she undermined her brother's God-given spiritual authority in front of God's people. And then a couple chapters later, Numbers 14, the Lord sentenced the people of Israel to wander in the wilderness for 40 years for not obeying him. This is commonly called a timeout in our culture. And it's interesting to me that the Lord used it in the Old Testament. It's appropriate for ages 2 to 10, 
And Christian parenting experts recommend about one minute for every year of age. We often blew this. We would get busy doing things and send our child upstairs and, you know, half an hour later, <laughs> Mom, can I get up now off my bed? Oh, 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 sorry, 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 you know. Um, so it does happen. Now, if you, since we have smartphones now, we can set a timer, right? And just to remind us, oh, yeah, I have a child that's on consequence upstairs in their bedroom, and I should set them free because they'll forget why they're actually there. <laughs> but uh, this, this consequence is best used for teaching self-control, breaking a pattern of behavior, or calming the child down. Um, we have used it in our home when one of our children maybe was getting upset and didn't need to, or we gave them several opportunities to rein in their emotions, and we would send them to their room and say, you go upstairs and talk to Jesus and calm down and, and, and get self-control. And thankfully, uh, by God's grace, our, I think all of our kids learn that early on to where they don't struggle with it uh, as much as they would have. So the mandate of Christian parenting is to mold your child's heart to become more like Christ, and Christ certainly modeled self-control. He had emotions, but he was never out of control. And so these consequences can help with that. Here's letter D, the fourth parental uh, biblical discipline tool is restriction of freedom. Many people overlook this parenting principle in the Jonah story. Even I did for many years. When Jonah refused to go to Nineveh to preach to the Ninevites, you know the story. The Lord sent a whale and swallowed him up for three days and three nights until he changed his mind and decided to obey. And then Jonah still had to follow through with what he had been told after he was released. This is commonly called grounding, um, but I find it interesting that the Lord used that with Jonah. Oh, so you're not going to do what I told you to do? Well, then guess what? You're going to lose all your freedom, all your privileges, and you're not going to be able to go anywhere. So um, you're going to be stuck in the belly of a whale. One of my children calls this groundation. Um, Dad, when do I get off groundation? Never. <laughs> I don't want to give this child's identity away in order to protect their expertise with this type of discipline, but um, the goal of this consequence is to temporarily decrease the child's freedom and privileges so that they learn to increase their responsibility and obedience. Uh, this option works well for ages 8 to 18. If the offense was serious enough to make a large trust withdrawal, then you should give privileges or freedom back slowly, incrementally, until they rebuild trust and show they can handle the freedom and responsibility. So we talked about the four R's. Um, we talked about the reproof. We talked about B, the rod, and then C, removal from social contact, and D, restriction of freedom. If you would, finally, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. 
Here's uh, number two in your outline. The second major point is focused on children. Children bless their parents by lovingly respecting them. Children bless their parents by lovingly respecting them. Simply put, Solomon is saying here in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, that when children obey their parents, it brings joy to their hearts. It's a relief. It's, it's oh, oh, good. Thank you, Lord. But when children disobey, it places a great burden on parents and causes them sorrow. I just want to use the last few minutes that we have here together to give some pastoral counsel to children that might be listening here or online. And you parents, you can listen in. It's okay. Um, the Lord has placed parents in the lives of children in a position of authority on purpose. He has not only given them the responsibility to do the job of raising you, but he also gives authority. I find that interesting with the Lord. He always gives responsibility with authority. He doesn't just give responsibility. And he does so, he gives authority so that that authority can be used for your good and your protection. Just like you, your parents, though, are sinners. They have strengths and weaknesses, idiosyncrasies, and they are sinners doing their best to please the Lord. Now, what's interesting, though, I find when it comes to authority is that we struggle to submit even to Jesus' authority. And he was perfect. And that tells me, therefore, that having parents or grandparents that are perfect won't solve our problem with authority because the problem isn't with them. It's, it's, it's in our hearts. Our sin nature doesn't like authority, so we want to rebel against it, and we want to be autonomous in any way possible, regardless of whether the authority is sinful or sinless, like Jesus. And so, our last application here is for children, and that is to trust the Lord by honoring your parents. Romans 13, 1 and 2 says that God has sovereignly placed authorities in our lives, and that by submitting to those authorities, we submit to God. And when we rebel against those authorities, we're rebelling against God. This also means that he gave you the particular set of parents that you have for a reason, and he wants to use them in your life to make you more like Christ. So remember, children, and even adult children, I want to remind you, the Lord has given a mandate to Christian parents to mold you to be like Christ. I have, uh, on many Mother's Days, called my mom, even though she's not a born-again Christian, I have, on many Mother's Day, called my mom and said, I love you, thanks for believing in me, I'm sorry I made your life so hard. <laughs> Next year, I love you, thanks so much for believing in me, I'm so sorry. That, remember that one time? I'm sorry about that. I shouldn't have done that. And she's always very gracious. But, of course, now that I have kids of my own and I have teenagers, three of them, I now see things about myself that I didn't see before and uh, find myself asking my mom's forgiveness often, at least every Mother's Day. So, children, trust the Lord by honoring your parents. Finally, 
Several years ago, uh, I came across an essay or an opinion piece written by a couple of siblings that were reflecting on their childhood, just as I have mine. Uh, this essay is called The Meanest Parents in the World. Here's what they wrote. We had the meanest parents in the world. While other kids got to use their smartphones whenever they wanted, we actually had to turn ours off at certain times of the day so we could check it out like, check it out like a library. We had to turn it in, and then we checked it out like a library book later. And they said it was so that we would actually make eye contact with the rest of the family and maybe talk to them. I mean, haven't they ever heard of multitasking? Jeez. I mean, not only did our parents violate privacy laws by occasionally checking to see what was on our smartphones, they also insisted on knowing where we were at all times. I mean, you would think we were convicts in prison. They had to know who our friends were and what we were going to be doing with them. How intrusive these mean parents were. They wouldn't let our friends just honk the horn when they drove up. Our friends actually had to come up to the door so our parents could meet them. And while everyone else could start dating in grade school, we had to wait until we were 16. And if we said we would be home in one hour, they actually required us to be home in one hour. We were ashamed to admit it, but our parents also had the nerve to break child labor laws by making us work for free. We had to wash the dishes, make the beds, learn to cook, vacuum the floor, do laundry, mow the yard, and all sorts of cruel jobs. I think they would actually lay awake at night thinking of other jobs for us to do. On Sundays, they literally took us hostage and made us go to church. Sundays were reserved for church, and we rarely, if ever, missed. It was pointless to ask permission to spend the night with a friend on a Saturday night or to make social plans on a Sunday, because we always got told no. Therefore, it's not a shocker that we grew up, left home, and turned into mean parents ourselves. We are now weird, Christ-loving, educated, truth-telling, high-integrity adults. We're doing our best to be mean parents just like our parents were, but it's hard because the world just doesn't have enough mean parents anymore. I'm sure glad I, I had some mean parents when I was growing up. How about you? Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I know that a topic like this can surface a wide range of emotions. For some, uh, they might have been abused when they were growing up. Maybe they were, grew up in a home where discipline was not done biblically, and was not done lovingly. Father, I just ask, please, that you would heal those wounds, that you would redeem that for good, and give wisdom to those children who are now adults and raising kids on how they can do it the right way. Lord, I also know there, there may be others here that have been too permissive in their parenting. They, they've, they've been afraid to discipline their children biblically because maybe they fear their children or they fear losing a relationship with their children. 
Lord, please, would you help them to fear you first and to trust the wisdom you give on discipline, to trust the results it'll produce in their children. And Lord, I want to pray finally for any children that are listening here today that are struggling to respect and obey their parents. Please, Father, would you help them, even at their young age, to understand what it is in their heart that makes them want to rebel. Help them to understand their own sinfulness. And help them, Lord, to see and perceive their parents' loving protection. Lord, for couples that may not be united on how to discipline, please would you help them to rally around your word and by your spirit and by your grace, Lord, would you help them to get unified on this topic because it is so important. We love you and we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who modeled submission to your parental authority And Lord, we thank you for your example on how to parent. Help us, Lord, take steps this week as parents and grandparents to be just a little more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.